What's going on, ghosties? Welcome back to Tales of Spooky Coffee House. If you're new here, welcome to our podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Veronica. And I'm Chelsea. And it's time for our much-needed coffee break. Chelsea, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm I'm actually doing good. I had a good day. I had a good day. Some bad news, but good day overall. What was your bad news? Well, the bad news my mom shared with me today was that her siblings, uh, they're selling like my grandma's house in Mexico. So, you know, oh, uh, you and I were talking about someone that you're related to that's going to sell their home that, you know, has been in the family for many years. Yeah. So I think we can have an idea of the kind of sadness my mom's going through. So that's the bad news. But other than that, we're good. We're good. That's always hard. It is. I don't ever plan to sell my childhood home. Like, I can't even think of doing that. But also at the same time, like, stuff happens in the future. Of course. Of so, course. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine my grandma selling her house and now it's happening. So it's yeah. crazy. It is. Because it's like, I don't know. A home holds so many memories, you know? Yeah. Um, that's crazy but yeah I understand things happen and sometimes we have to do what we have to do but hopefully it doesn't have to happen to everyone so I found a new creamer that I tried today and a limited edition but it's a toasted brown sugar cinnamon pop tart creamer Mm. yeah it's horrible (laughs) and I am so interesting I am so sad because that's like my favorite fucking pop tart Oh, but the creamer—I don't know what it is, but it is not advertised well. <laughs> well, okay. So speaking of such, have you ever had like what's that cinnamon cereal called? Cinnamon Toast Crunch. That one. So they have like a cinnamon toast crunch shot at a bar that I go go to, mm-hmm. and I've had it. And it's just not it. It's like, it's, it tastes like a little shot of milk with alcohol, but it's sweet. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, I'm not, no. Give me my tequila straight up. I'm good. <laughs> That's funny. I did kind of enjoy the Mexican candy drink that they make. Cause it's like, you know, it's a cocktail, but it's spicy and it has like tahine on the rim. Mm-hmm. And if you go to a, not a fancy bar, but a bar that has some dollars to, like, spend, you'll get, a, like, a lollipop. Oh, that's cool. Right? I'm very weird with my alcohol. I don't, like, sometimes I don't like sweet stuff. Like, I'll just take whiskey, like, Coke or something, or Pepsi. But then other times, I want, I don't want fruity drinks. I want candy drinks. And there's this guy and bartender. I don't, I honestly have no idea like what his handle is right now but he makes some of the most amazing candy drinks but at the same time I don't have the patience for that (laughs) yeah I mean I don't I wouldn't mind like trying out like a fun drink like that but honestly just give me my alcohol straight up like I don't know I don't mind it I don't mind taking my shots like yes I've like mixed my fireball with coke Mm -hmm. but it's like I'm just gonna get like fuller and more bloated because of the coke like just give me just give me the alcohol let it do it let it 
do its job and we're good. Right. My favorite drink lately is trash cans. Huh. Yeah. Okay, I think you might have to explain that one to me because I haven't heard of that. So trash cans have gin, light rum, vodka, peach schnapps, blue liqueur, triple sec, and a Red Bull. Ooh. And like Buffalo Wild Wings has these. And I like it when you replace the Red Bull with a watermelon Red Bull, which mm-hmm. my friend introduced me to because I fucking hate like watermelon flavor. Mm-hmm. Like I like watermelon, but not the fake flavors. But the... uh the trash cans with the watermelon Red Bulls are really fucking good. Nice. You know what I have had? Hmm. Well, one, you reminded me of like a cherry bomb. So oh, I love those. Yeah, I love those. Mm. I've also had a, uh, a blowjob. <laughs> a blowjob like shot. I like a those too. I like those. <laughs> and it was fun um, when I first did one because I was amongst friends that are also listeners. And I loved how you're supposed to like take it like drink it yeah no hands mouth only i'm just like oh okay my favorite memory is uh (laughs) we went to the i think we went to the bar with my brother-in-law my husband Mm -hmm. my brother-in-law and like a couple other people no i think it was just us and um my husband ordered him a blowjob and (laughs) and they told him how to drink it and everything and he like like he could tell that we were because like we were all watching him and he's like no I think I'm just gonna like drink it like a shot (laughs) he was just like really wary and then he drank it and we were like you were like yeah you got a (laughs) blowjob he's like you guys are stupid (laughs) like even the bartender was in on it I love it but um so speaking of blowjobs I have a funny story oh god Dude, I have, well, I'm not going to say it on the podcast. Maybe, it depends, but I'm just going to interrupt you for a quick second. I had a flashback to my old coworker who told me about, and I know we're not this type of podcast, but that told me about, like, a blowjob nightmare story. Oh, God. Let's just say it involves the girl having braces, and that's it. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Oh, God. Mine Continue. is so much funnier. Go for it. It wasn't so much like the blowjob in general that like brought this up, but um, so do you know the first version of Cinderella? No, I didn't know there was such thing. So I always thought the original story was from the Grimm brothers, which mm-hmm. I guess they have one of like the original folktale versions, right? So it was originally published in 1634, I believe, in Italy as a spicy adult romance. Ooh, what? Yeah, and I just, I can't get it, like, because we all know the Disney Cinderella, and I just can't picture her as a spicy horror from the 1600s. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Listen, Chelsea, we all started in life differently, and <laughs> somewhere down the line, people have a change of, ha- change of heart and decide to take a different path in life. You know, people make mistakes. Yeah, uh, I, I'm going to be researching because I kind of, like, I'm very intrigued by the story, Yeah, and I want to see if there was any, like, surviving versions of it. 
That's exciting. Please keep us posted. I I love a little story time. <laughs> but like like you said, we're not that type of podcast, so maybe we'll just keep it on the YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's why I was like, oh, I don't know if I should say this or not. <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's okay because it's us. Like it's just us. Speaking of funny, I do have a joke for you that I saw on it was either Instagram or TikTok. So I know last week I was trying to be funny and I failed miserably and <laughs> called me out on it. So I'm hoping to make up for it this episode. Um, okay. What do you call an emo strip club? What? Suicidal thoughts. <laughs> Get it? Like a, like a thought. Yeah, like, like a, a thought, like a thoughty. Yeah, that's funny. all right. I'm just gonna assume that the ghosties laughed at that one just to help me sleep tonight. Go ahead. I have one for you too. Yes. It's kind of dark humor, but it's on that same like same like we love thought. dark humor here. We should do dark humor <laughs> jokes one of these episodes. Well, we're gonna have to be careful, but yeah. Yeah. So what do you call a group of emos? What? Suicide squad. I hate you. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> but you're laughing. <laughs> no, <I'm> not. <laughs> Also, we did do a birthday shout out last episode for Taylor, and here we are about to make another birthday shout out to another one of our listeners and one of my best friends. I don't know about Chelsea. I don't know. Listen, um, I don't yeah. care. What Z, I don't care what Z says about you, Chelsea. I like you, and I think you're great. And, and Z and I will both agree that you're talking shit because she loves me and I love her. That's what you want to believe that she says about <laughs> you behind your back? Sure. But Z, happy birthday. Her birthday was on April 5th, just a few days ago. I hope Taco Tuesday went as planned. We're recording this a little earlier, so I'm all worried about the Taco Tuesday. But anyway, happy yeah. birthday, Z. <laughs> like we said last episode, we're really bad at happy birthdays, but happy birthday. We love you. We love you so much. I love you more. <laughs> Moving on, let's go ahead and get started with the true crime topic of the week. Are you ready? I'm ready. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about Dean Coral. And just a heads up, this is kind of like a longer segment. And I'll kind of get into why um, as I talk about him. And it'll kind of make sense as well. But Dean Coral was born on December 24th, 1931 in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is literally like 45 minutes from where I'm at right now. Nice. <laughs> he was an American serial killer and sex offender who abducted, raped, tortured, and murdered a minimum of 28 teenage boys and young men between 1970 and 1973 in Houston and Pasadena, Texas. During his crimes, he was aided by two teenage accomplices, David Owen Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley. The crimes, which became known as the Houston Mass Murders, came to light after Henley fatally shot Dean, and upon discovery, it was considered the worst example of serial murder in the U.S. history. So, that information right there, how it was the worst example, it was the worst example until a few years later when John Wayne Gacy began killing. Mm -hmm. So, at the time, this was one of the most researched crimes in America, which is why this... This segment is going to be long because there is so much information because it was so in-depth. Like, they analyzed every single little thing. So, 
Dean Kroll would become known as the Candyman and the Piped Piper because his family had previously owned and operated a candy factory in Houston Heights, Texas, and he had been known to give free candy to local children. Backtracking to his early childhood, Dean's father, Arnold, was very strict with his kids, but his mother, Mary, was very protective of them. So they kind of had like a polar opposite parenting style from his father and mother. Because of this and the frequent fights, the couple divorced in 1946, and soon after, Arnold was drafted into the U.S. Air Force, which resulted in Mary and the kids moving to Tennessee so that they could still have a relationship with their father. So Dean was known to be a shy but very serious child. He wasn't very social, but he did show concern for others, which is strange in itself, knowing that, and especially like knowing what he becomes, because this is usually the opposite of how these stories start. You know, we talk often about how there's warning signs. um, Mm -hmm. And while his, his father was very strict, it wasn't like abusive strict. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So in 1950, Dean's parents tried to reconcile and the family moved back to Pasadena, Texas. This would only last for three years and they would divorce a second time. So soon after, his mother would remarry and the two started a candy factory, which is where his nickname stems from. So Dean would work there for a while while he was still in high school and he would graduate with a record of being well-behaved and having good grades. So he moved around a lot after this, and his mother would eventually get divorced again and start her own candy company. And this was around the time where Dean would move back to Texas, only to get drafted Mm -hmm. in 1964. During his short time in service, he had no blemishes on his records, even though he reported not liking the military, which is actually, like, pretty good. Eventually, he applied for hardship discharge on the grounds that he was needed in his family business, and his request was granted So he was given an honorable discharge after only serving 10 months. In 1967, Dean befriended 12-year-old David Owen Brooks. He was a sixth grade student and one of the many children who he gave free candy to. He joined Dean on like regular trips to South Texas beaches um, in the company of other children as well. And he later commented that Dean was the first adult male who did not mock his appearance. So whenever he told Dean that he needed cash, he gave him money, and eventually he started to see Dean as a father figure. Mm -hmm. But this eventually led to, after Dean's urging, it led to a sexual relationship that developed between them. And beginning in 1969, so two years after they met, Dean would actually pay him to perform oral sex on him. Even though they already had the relationship? Um, that's that's how like started like he was starting oh, to coerce okay. him into it and then by the two-year mark in 1969 he was officially like paying him for it okay dean's victims were usually lured like lured to them in vehicles that he owned and even a chevy corvette that he had bought for brooks in 1971 so usually he would lure them by offering a party or a lift and they would be driven to Dean's house. There, he would give them alcohol or drugs until they passed out and trick them into handcuffs or just simply grabbing them. Trigger warning um, for this next part. They were then stripped naked and either tied to Dean's bed or a plywood torture board that was regularly hung on a wall in his room. 
once they were tied up, the victims would be sexually assaulted, beaten, tortured, and sometimes for several days before eventually strangling them or shooting them with a 22 caliber pistol. After the victims were killed, their bodies were then tied in plastic sheeting and buried in one of four places. So either a rented boat shed in southwest Houston, a beach on Boliviar Peninsula, a woodland near Lake Sam Rayburn, where Dean's family actually owned a lakeside log cabin, or they would be buried at a beach in Jefferson County. So in several instances, Dean forced his victims to either call or write to their parents with explanations for their absences in order to delay the parents' fear for their son's safety. He's also known to have retained keepsakes from his victims, usually in the form of their keys. So I'm not going to go too in-depth with all of the victims. I will say, though, that his first known victim was an 18-year-old college freshman named Jeffrey Conan, and on September 25th, 1970, Conan vanished while he was hitchhiking with another student from the University of Texas. At the time of his disappearance, Dean lived in an apartment on Yorktown Street. And so around the time of um, Jeffrey Conan's murder, Brooks had actually interrupted Dean in the act of sexually assaulting two teenage boys. And so he promised Brooks that he would buy him a car in return for his silence which he ended up doing, which is the Chevy that I brought up earlier that they kidnapped some of the victims with. Would you have done it? What? Would you have been bought... Would your silence have been bought with the promise of a new car? No. Okay. Would yours? No. Okay. I was like, is that why you're asking (laughs) No, I was no, no. I was slightly concerned for a second. <laughs> no, um, no, you guys should never be concerned over me. After all the things you've said, I'm good. <laughs> what? You know, like I may have said a lot of stuff on this podcast and admitted to a lot, but I do have morals and I do have a line that that's drawn. Like, are you saying I don't fucking that I cross the line or what? No, I just I just think you don't give me enough credit for that part. <laughs> I mean, uh... so after this, um, Dean did admit to Brooks that he had killed two young men and offered him $200 for any boy that he could lure to his apartment. So 200 in the 1970s is the equivalent of approximately $1,536 as of this year. I would, I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I, I just, like, I'm, I'm mindful. But like, also, just... at the same time, the same time, you got to remember, he's only, hold on, let me verify, let me verify. He's only, like, 14. All right, yeah. Like, you know, they're very impressionable and easily manipulated at that age. So, for the next couple of months, Brooks and Dean would be accomplices in murdering multiple people. And then in the winter of 1971, Brooks introduced Henley to Dean. Henley likely was lured to Dean's address as an intended victim. However, Dean decided that the youth would make a good accomplice, and he offered him the same fee of $200 for any boy that he could lure to his apartment. 
informing Henley that he was involved in a white slavery ring operation operating out of Dallas. So this kid just thought it was a slavery thing, not a sexual assault and murder type thing, which is still bad. But I know. Later on, Henley actually stated that he ignored Dean's offer for several months, but he did maintain an acquaintance with him and eventually started to view him as something of a brother type of person. And he admired his work ethic and felt like he could confide in him. The identity of the first victim that Henley had assisted in remains unknown, which a couple of the murder victims, even before Henley got involved, uh, still remain unknown to this day. On March 24th, 1972, or actually, let me start that over. So this next victim is kind of where things began to become rocky between the trio. On March 1972, Henley, Brooks, and Dean encountered an 18-year-old acquaintance of Henley's named Frank Aguirre. And Henley had called him over to Dean's van and invited him to drink and smoke weed with them at at Dean's apartment, which he agreed to because he knew Henley. Once they were at his apartment, they began to smoke and drink. And eventually, Frank picked up a pair of handcuffs that Dean had left on his table. And that's kind of when he pounced on him and began his, his usual antics. And Henley later claimed that he did not know what Dean's true intentions were when he had uh, persuaded his friend to accompany them. And in a 2010 interview, he claimed that he tried to stop him from assaulting his friend. And he uh, obviously um, that he refused, but that was the night that he informed Henley that he had raped, tortured and killed the previous victims that he had assisted in abducting. And yet, even after being told that, Henley continued to aid him, not just with his friend, but victims after that as well. Now, despite claiming not having knowledge or anything of that, when Henley started to participate knowing what was happening, Brooks had actually stated that Henley was especially sadistic in his participation of the murders, and that he eventually became fascinated with, quote, how much stamina people have during the act of murder. Yeah. Like I said, things were already starting to become rocky because Henley's realization of what was actually going on. But at one time, um, while the three were at Dean's house, Henley knocked Brooks unconscious when he walked into the house and then Dean tied him to his bed and assaulted him repeatedly before releasing him. Now, despite the assault... Brooks continued to assist Dean in the abductions of his victims. So, like I said, like, teens that age are easily manipulated, and he knew what was going on. It happened to him, and yet he still continued to aid. And so at that point, I feel like there's a lot more going on mentally than anything. You know what I mean? Especially, like, Stockholm Syndrome, that kind of thing. Yeah. So a lot of the murders that took place, a lot of the victims were actually boys that both Henley and Brooks knew. And so I feel like this played a role in the eventual occurrence that happened between the trio. So according to Henley, there were only three victims in which Brooks did not participate in. And that was because in July 1973, Brooks actually married his pregnant fiance. Oh, 
yeah and so during that time because you know you gotta you're getting married you gotta have some time to yourself Henley was the only sole participant in procuring victims for Dean and so despite that the last known victim of Dean was on August 3rd in 1973 in which Brooks helped procure his 13 year old victim August 8th 1973 at approximately 3 a.m or so Henley and Timothy were accompanied by a young woman, Rhonda Louise Williams, and they went to Dean's house. Now, Dean was furious that Henley had brought a girl to his house, telling him in private that he had ruined everything because, you know, he didn't sexually assault women. He just sexually assaulted teen boys. And so Dean appeared to have calmed down and offered them beer and weed. But after a couple of hours, the three of them passed out. So... When Henley woke up, um, he was lying on his stomach and Dean was snapping handcuffs onto his wrists. His mouth had been taped shut and his ankles had been bound together. Now Curly and Williams, his two friends, had also been laying behind or next to him bound with nylon rope and gagged with tape. And at that point, Curly had already been stripped naked. When Dean realized that Henley was awake, he removed the gag from his mouth and he protested, but Dean's just uh, kept saying that he was angry because Henley brought a girl to his house and that he was going to kill all three of them. And basically telling him, and these are quotes, man, you blew it bringing that girl. I'm going to kill you all, but first I'm going to have my fun. And he was repeatedly kicking them in the chest. And after a while, Henley tried to calm Dean by promising to participate in the torture and murder of both Williams and Curly if Dean released him. He said that this went on for about 30 minutes before Dean finally agreed and untied Henley. Now, eventually, after Dean released him, he made him help him tie both of them to the bed and told him that he was supposed to do the same thing to Williams that he was doing to Kirby. Eventually, both of the victims woke up and asked Henley if he was really going to go through with this, if he was just going to participate and not help them. And eventually, Henley had a change of heart and grabbed Dean's pistol and he shouted, you've gone far enough. I can't go on any longer. I can't have you kill all of my friends. Now, Dean approached him and was kind of like teasing him. And he was like, kill me. You won't do it. Just really taunting him. And so Henley then fired at Dean, hitting him in the forehead. Fight that, the bullet didn't penetrate his skull. And so he continued to go after Henley. What the heck? Yeah. The two of them fought for a while. Um, he shot him a couple more times and eventually Dean died and he fell in the hallway where he ended up falling face down toward the wall, butt naked. Um, yeah, I'm just going to tell you like a little bit about what happened afterwards. After he shot and killed Dean Coral, Henley released Curly and Williams from the torture bed and all three teenagers dressed and discussed what actions that they should take. Henley suggested that they should simply leave, to which Curly said, no, we should call the police. Eventually, Henley agreed, and the three of them called the police, and he did so on at 8.24 a.m. on August 8th, 1973. So the three of them were waiting outside when the police arrived. Henley did confess right away to killing Dean Coral, and once the officer went inside, verified that there was a body, he read him his Miranda rights, and it is noted that Henley shouted, I don't care who knows about it. At this point, he was just really, he was just ready to end everything. 
Curly, who was one of the victims, later told detectives that before the police had arrived at the crime scene, Henley had informed him, and I quote, if you wasn't my friend, I could have gotten 200 for you. Could you imagine, like, (laughs) I would be so pissed off if somebody fucking said that to me. Yeah. I don't really want to go, like, too more in-depth with Henley and Brooks, because like I said, this was mainly just focusing on, on Dean Coral. And as I mentioned before, this was considered one of the worst case of serial murder in terms of the number of victims in the United States, which exceeded the 25 murders that were attributed to Juan Corona in California in 1971. But then it was also surpassed in 1978 by John Wayne Gacy, who murdered 33. By May 1974, 21 of Dean Corll's victims had been identified, with seven of them um, not being identified at all still to this day. So yeah, that that's... Uh, that's my segment. That's the candy man. That was a ride. That was, yeah, definitely a ride. And uh, there was actually a lot that I kept out. A lot, because like I said, this was one of the most studied cases at its time in the 70s. And they went really in depth with like all of the victims. And I really skipped over a lot of them. Because like I said, there's there was over 20 and it's a lot of victims and a lot of information. Mm-hmm. But they they had it down to like the times they were kidnapped, like a play-by-play of what happened to each victim before they were buried. Like, they they just went so in-depth with all of this that it was yeah. insane. And we yeah, could probably... They have a lot of the details down. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You want to you wanna get us started on the paranormal topic of the week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, my paranormal topic of the week is Mapimi's Silent Zone also known as La Zona de Silencio and the Sea of Thaides, I believe it is. The Mapimi Silent Zone is a stretch of desert in Durango, Mexico, with an enigmatic reputation. Similar to the Bermuda Triangle, the Silent Zone is known for strange phenomena including radial malfunction, mutated wildlife, meteor impacts, and reports of extraterrestrial activity. My favorite. I think I've heard of this just because of the deformed animals. Yeah. So the alien visitors are described as tall and blonde-haired. When encountered, they supposedly ask for water in flawless Spanish, then disappear without a trace. I'd rather that happen than me getting abducted. Right. The Silent Zone is also a hotbed for UFO activity with reports of flying figures, fireballs, and spheres of glowing light. Hmm. I would love to witness that myself. Actually, Lizzo just posted on her Instagram. She was recording the sky. It was cloudy, but there was like a purple light and it kept moving, like disappearing and just like appearing in a different spot. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was interesting. Hmm. The zone earned its name in the 1960s when oil company Pemex, uh, so if, if you know, you know Pemex, funded a scouting expedition. The oil company's team experienced constant radio problems and equipment malfunctions, leading them to dub the area the Zone of Silence. 
It remained a curiosity until January 1970 when a United States rocket crashed in the zone and famed rocket scientist Werner von Braun led the extensive recovery efforts. This incident stoked interest in the Mapimi Silent Zone and led the Mexican government to establish the Mapimi Biosphere Reserve around it. So my question to you is, if given the opportunity, would you drive down this road? I think so. I don't think I would do it alone, but I definitely mm-hmm. think I would. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm brave when it comes to a lot of weird things, but I wouldn't do a lot of things alone, <laughs> you know? Yeah, because, like, if we're going down, we're going to go down together. Like, <laughs> we're going to experience Well, I mean, together. I don't see it that way, but <laughs> it's nice to know where your head's at. See, that's like that's my thing though. Like, I don't want to go out alone. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna take someone with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna take somebody with me. Man, I'm so happy I'm on the other side of the state. <laughs> what about the Bermuda Triangle? It did mention it. Is that something you'd like want to experience as well? Um, oh, no. it like. There's, I know, like, like a lot of debate, and there's even one scientist who claims to have debunked the Bermuda Triangle. But I, I love the whole theory of it with the Earth. Like I, I believe they said it was like the magnet, magnetized. Uh, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, but also, I wouldn't want to get lost in time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because I have heard of the the pilot that like went back in time or something like that. Yeah, and and seeing that was one of the things that the scientist that I was talking about, like he debunked, like he said that it never happened, and it was just a story that people started to say. Mm-hmm. But like, at the same time, stories come from somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like I know we didn't mention this on the podcast, but Chelsea and I were talking about mermaids earlier, like. But it had to have started somewhere. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, someone got the idea somehow. Even if, like, you know, even if mermaids are extinct, at one time it's possible that they could have existed. And, like, there's different versions. There's mermaids and there's the sirens, which one is good, one is evil. But I feel like that's humans, too. Like, that's just how it is. Like, there's, like, the yin-yang. There's always, you know, the darker half, the lighter half. Yeah, I mean, if we didn't grow up being told about dinosaurs, and then just randomly someone said, yeah, these huge-ass fucking animal-type things, like, used to exist, we'd be like, yeah, the fuck right, dude, like, come the fuck down, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I get it. Just because you don't have evidence yet doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, like... It's called having faith. (laughs) Yeah. But, and and besides, like, the... What is it? Only 5% of the ocean has been explored. You don't know where yeah. the mermaids hide. The mermaids could be in that 95% that we haven't explored. Yeah, that's true. We won't Humanity is fucking people. awful. I wouldn't want to tell I wouldn't want to talk to them either. Okay, Ariel. <laughs> um, I can't you know what? I'm excited for the new Ariel like, movie. But anyways. It's like the complete opposite of Ariel. Ariel wanted to talk to the humans. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Um yeah that's my segment um very interesting i've yet to see something strange in the sky although i have witnessed something once when i was on a walk with our friend stephanie 
but I don't really think of it as like extraterrestrial. I think of it as like the meteor type of thing. Yeah. I don't know. But anyways, moving on, we are going to move on to segment three. Uh, we have a special tarot card reading for Z that I'm extremely, <laughs> extremely looking forward to. As you guys know, Remy and Izzy, aka Chelsea's daughters, they're they're getting uh they're getting their hands on practice with tarot cards. I'm I'm I just Chelsea, please take it away, please. I'm so excited. <laughs> so we were gonna do this tarot reading anyways because Z asked for it. Um, but it's her birthday yeah. week. So remember that you asked timing. for it, Z. <laughs> you asked for this. <laughs> Sorry, I have to. I have to. So both of the girls chose two cards for a total of a four-card reading. And I had them focus on this question. And that is, what are a few things that you need to hear to improve your life in the next five years? Mm. Okay. Now, I repeated this question like 50 million fucking times because to get them to focus on it. Now, they chose the cards randomly. I just, I laid all the cards and they picked them. They put them however they wanted. I did not mess with the cards, like, at all. Like, they completely chose everything, okay? I'd like to point out that Remy happened to choose two reversed pentacle cards. And Izzy chose two right-side-up wand cards. I'm so excited. The first card that Remy chose was the Six of Pentacles reversed. So you're clinging to the past right now and you're unable to move on because of it. So you need to learn to focus on the present and be aware of your surroundings. You're also gonna going to be ready to let go of the past because of this, because you're going to be focusing on your future. So you're going to want to focus on kind of like that aspect and really enjoy the freedom that letting go and moving on is going to give you. I feel like that's really sweet. Or that the other individual might get as well. Yeah. So the next card is the Five of Pentacles reversed. And this card also represents that feeling of you being ready to move on and let go of emotions or sorrow and just really accept help. And so acceptance is part of your healing journey. And so in order to forgive move on and move on from the past you're going to want to focus on the acceptance that that comes with it so izzy's cards like i said they're both wands and they're both right side up so the first card is the seven of wands so this card is telling you that you have worked hard for where you are but right now you're feeling under attack and blamed for things i swear i swear that's what the fucking card says So you need to stand up for what you believe in and not let anybody tell you what is and isn't your fault because life may be busy and challenging right now, but you, you not only have the stamina to endure it, but you also have the stamina to manifest better things in your future. So the last card that she chose, Age of Wands, you have a lot of bright ideas and exciting plans. And you're probably feeling really creative and fearless about them, but you're not doing anything about it. So when I say that, I don't mean to rush into things without considering the consequences because you definitely don't want to do that. But start 
taking the time to really focus on what it is that you want. And low-key, see, I'm kind of really mad at you because you didn't get called out like Veronica and I did. Yeah, this is a failure. <laughs> I, you know what? I feel like maybe they were probably being nice because it's your birthday. So I think we need a redo in the future. Um, yeah, for sure. When I, it's not your birthday. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah, maybe they were being nice. Whatever, Z. You got a good one this time. <laughs> all right ghosties that brings us to the end of our episode thank you so much for joining us this week we hope you had as much fun as we did if so make sure to give us a follow on instagram and tiktok while it's still uh not banned in the u.s and <laughs> if you are interested in a tarot card reading please give us a dm let us know we'll be more than happy to do one for you We are your hosts. I'm Veronica. And I'm Chelsea. Have a spooky weekend. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.